Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. One of the first things I did was I looked out the windows and they were dirty. Now, I'm not as OCD as I used to be. I noticed this morning I was walking in my house barefoot, and the dirt on the floor no longer bothers me. I'm like above it now. Thank God, it took me 48 years, but I can have dirty feet. But those windows, amen, those windows bother me. And I travel with a lot of stuff. I had my paper towels with me. You know, you never know when you need paper towels or a steamer or all kinds of things. But I found the Windex, and I just went to work cleaning windows. Because there's a difference between looking at the view through a clean window and a window with the child's handprints all over it. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to hold up our hearts, our thoughts, our attitudes, our inner being. And we're just going to see, does it look like Jesus? He's got the clear heart, and our heart is kind of smudged over with sin and things we've learned, things we've been taught, part of our culture. And we're just going to clean. Holy Spirit has paper towels and Windex. And he's going to speak to our hearts. And you might already have a clean heart. If so, just sit back and enjoy. But if your heart is like mine and it needs cleaning, then I just ask you to open your hearts to Holy Spirit and just let him do his gentle cleansing work. Because that's what I want him to do. We're going to go into some deep areas today. Some things may seem political because there are issues in our lives where the spiritual and the political are side by side, right? It gets into beliefs. But I don't want to speak to your mind and your political beliefs and the things you hold tightly to and your party and your platform. But I want to speak to your heart. And I just want you to hold your heart up to Jesus and just say, is mine like Jesus or not? I want, to spe- I want to speak to your heart. So if you find yourself getting defensive and up in your head, just say, no, just let's think about my heart. I don't know your heart, but God does. And he knows mine needs some cleaning. And he's been working on it. Well, if you can't tell, especially you on live stream that may not know me, I was raised in the South. Can you tell by my accent? Just un poquito de acento, a little bit of accent. I love hearing um, Southern people speak Spanish. Hola, como esta? Estoy bien, y tú? Me llamo Lista. You know, I am from the South, and my daughter says that the more I get around my country relatives, the more Southern I sound. But you can imagine being raised in the South, the kind of things I learned about other races, the kinds of things that I heard at school, or heard from my friends in the neighborhood, or from my family. And I'll be honest, I participated. I didn't just hear things, I repeated them. I made fun of African Americans. I made fun of how they talked, how they walked, what they did, where they lived, what they ate. I listened to jokes about them, and I even told them. It wasn't until I was 21 years old and was saved that God started telling me, hey, that's sin. That's sin. Because it is. And you've probably heard me say that I can't help where I was raised. And I'll be honest, some of those thoughts still filter through my brain. They just come right on through because they were ingrained in me. But I try so hard not to participate with them, agree with them, believe them. And I tried very hard not to pass them on to my children. And I told my children, you can marry a person of any color as long as they love Jesus. So I have tried so hard to teach my children to love. And so we want to look today how we are loving all kinds of different races, all kinds What is racism? It's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people because of their membership in a racial or ethnic group. Secondly, racism is the belief that different races possess possess different characteristics, abilities, or qualities, meaning that one is inferior and the other is superior. 
Basically, number one is meanness. It's being mean to people. Number two is pride. It's thinking you're better than them. That's what racism is, is being mean and being prideful. I was talking with Ayers Burgess. I haven't seen her today, but she's married to an African-American man. She's a white woman, and we were talking this week, and she said, I think every person in the United States has some racism in their hearts. Every person, every race, every ethnicity. Ethnicity. So who in the audience today has experienced racism? Okay, we've got some in the back, some up front. There we go. All right, thank you. And who would be willing to admit that they've participated in it, that they've had sinful and mean thoughts against people who were different? It's hard to raise your hand. I'll tell you the truth. I've got, um, I wrote a blog post a while back called, um, I think the title was, I Judged Derek Because He Was a Black Man. And it was about me being in the parking lot at Harris Teeter, just sitting by myself, and there was a, a black gentleman that walked up, and I automatically locked my doors, which was wrong. But then he came over and he said, hey, where'd you buy the car? And I rolled down the window and we started talking, because I'll talk to anybody. We started talking pretty soon. We're introducing ourselves, shaking hands, nicest man in the world. But I locked my car. If he had been Hispanic, would, have, would I have locked my car? White and well-dressed, or a woman, or person in a hoodie, an Asian. And so, as I wrote that blog post and shared it, I did get feedback from some African-American girlfriends. You know, is this okay to share? But there was one that wanted to talk to me about it. And I'll be honest, I still haven't been able to humble myself and talk to her about it because I know she's gonna correct me over something, and who wants that? So there are places in our hearts where we need to humble ourselves and listen to what people have to say, and I'm still struggling with it. It's still hard for me. The root of racism, I don't know all the answers, but as I've just been praying over it, definitely there's pride. There's pride. It's an I'm better than you. And we do that because of our own inferiority and insecurities. If I can make you look bad, then I feel better as a person. You know, I'm, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as that. That's what we do. There's hatred, which is basically the anger, the meanness. That's sin. That's from the devil. We have to fight it. There's greed. There's wanting things, taking things from people. There's selfishness. This is mine, my area, my space. Think about in the history of the United States, the American Indians that lived here, we came and we took their land. We made treaties with them and we didn't keep our word. My husband's family, there's Cherokee in there. Think about the Trail of Tears. Think about Asian Americans, World War II, the internment of the Japanese, the way we've treated Chinese in our history, almost like slaves. Hispanic Americans, think about the, the treatise, treaties that we've made and the shootings in El Paso, the hatred towards them. African Americans, think about the way they've been treated. And when you think about even, you could, you could go on and on. You could talk about Jewish people or Filipino people. There's racism against all kinds of people, black, white, men, women, different ethnicities. One of the headlines I saw this week was a CEO in San Francisco that had to resign his job because someone called on video his tirade against an Asian family in a restaurant. They were just celebrating a birthday and he told them to go back where they came from, go back to your country. And it was called on video and it went viral and he had to resign. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? You know, when, when we talk about racism, it's risky. There have been a lot of Christian leaders that have talked about racism. Some of them have had a positive response, and some of them have been slammed for it, slammed for speaking the truth. And so as I share with you my message today, which I believe is grounded in the Word of God, you 
may not like it. I want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my natural reaction. But what I want to say is I don't really like it either. I don't like when God puts my dirty window with a clear window. So I just want to ask you for grace. I'm not going to say everything right. I watched my video from two weeks ago. I said that Jesus in Nazareth stood in the temple. There's not a temple in Nazareth. What was I thinking? Sometimes my words don't come out right. Sometimes I don't express myself well. If you knew how hard it is for me to just talk on a daily basis, you would know that <laughs> it's just hard for me. But so I ask you for grace, and, and God has challenged me. You know, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's taking risk. I'm taking a risk to go there with you. I'm taking a risk that you might not like me later. But I need to be obedient to where God took me. So I, and I hope that my sweetness, everybody says I'm sweet. I hope that my sweetness will just help, <laughs> help me because y'all know I'm, I'm not, I'm only pointing fingers at me. God took me to the woodshed. He, he really has. So we're going to ground this message in three passages in the Bible. One that's in the Psalms one that's in the Gospels, and one that's in the Epistles, one of the letters of Paul. So I'm going to talk about unity. I'm going to talk about unity. In the beginning, when God created everybody, his desire was unity. His desire was unity. When you go back to Genesis, you see what happened because after the fall, sin entered the world. God had to send a flood to destroy everyone but Noah and his family. And then those three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they separated and went to different regions. So in Genesis 11, we find the Tower of Babel. And they became prideful and they said, let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves." And God had to correct them. Genesis 11, 9. And it says, the name of the tower was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. That's why I can't speak Spanish well and you can't speak English as well and it's hard to speak Japanese. God confused the languages and the Lord scattered them. They were scattered because of sin, but God's heart is unity. His heart is that we would love what he created, and we see that in the rest of the Bible. So turn with me, if you have your Bible, Psalm 133, and we're going to start with verse 1. And um, most of the time I'll be reading from the NASB, but this time I like it in the NIV. Psalm 133, 1. It says how good and pleasant it is when brothers, when God's people, live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Okay, that's our first simile. It is like precious oil. Secondly, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So we have God's people. They're the Jewish people. You would think that they would automatically just be one. But there were different tribes. There were different clans. There were different regions. They came from different families. They were the Shemites. They lived all over. And then the law said that three times a year they had to come together. Good Lord, y'all know what it's like at a family reunion when you get Grandpa Joe and Uncle Bob and, you know, that other side of the family together. They had to come together in Jerusalem three times a year for a feast. And they had to come together in unity. It says unity is like the precious oil poured on the head. This oil, it, the Bible talks about it in Exodus 30, verse 32. Jim, if you'll pull up Exodus, or who's doing my slides? Amy, it's hard to see. <laughs> Exodus 30, 31. So this is the oil that was used to anoint the priests. 
It was used to anoint the things. It was used to anoint the people, to consecrate them. That's what my name means, Elizabeth, Lisa, consecrated to God. It means set apart to be holy. This oil was used to consecrate the people and the places and the things to God, to set them apart as holy. This holy anointing oil, it was called sacred. And so when we come together in unity, it's like God's sacred anointing oil is there. I believe that means his presence. It's holy, it's pure, it's sacred. It changes things. It takes things that are unclean and makes them clean. It takes things that are not holy and makes them holy. It was sacred. And then the second simile, it said, when they came together in unity, it was like the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. Well, what on earth does that mean? Now, I've never been in Israel, but my research says that in Jerusalem in the summer, it's hot and it's dry. Now, part of the reason I want a house in the mountains is last weekend, I took a nap on the balcony from 3 to 5 p.m. with a blanket. It's not hot in the mountains. Mount Hermon was a place because of the dew and the rain and the snow. It was lush with foliage. It was pleasant like it was in the mountains. Like Jerusalem is hot like Wilmington. Mount Hermon is refreshing and cooler. So it says when we come together in unity, there will be refreshing in the dry places. When we come together in unity, we're set apart as holy, as God's. His presence is there. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it's hard. Why? Because of things that we've learned growing up, things that we've said, things that we've agreed with. So how do we live together in unity? I believe the one way that we can live together in unity is to ask each other the hard questions. And I've already told you, I'm afraid of some of that. But the last couple of weeks, I've asked hard questions. And there's a lot of discussion about racism against African Americans right now. That's, I'm glad it's in the news. We need to talk about it. We need to learn. But I am called to Latino people. I really feel like it is a calling God has given me. There are days I wonder, Will I be part of the English-speaking church or the Spanish-speaking church? I don't know. I don't know. But I began to ask questions of my Latino friends. I began to ask questions. It's always dangerous when I get away from my notes, and it's scary, but I'm doing it. I guess I can reach up there. Latino. Okay, so... What kinds of questions did I ask? I said, tell me the top five things you don't want white English speakers to say to you. Tell me why you think it's hard for Latinos to learn English. Tell me what you think about illegal immigrants. Tell me what you think about these people. The first thing I had to do was learn what is the difference between Latino and Hispanic, because I didn't even know that. I had to ask some really stupid questions. Thank God for Google. Google says, Hispanic refers to a people que habla en español that speak Spanish. Very easy. So that's people from Spain, people in Central and South America. Hispanic, they speak Spanish. It's about a language. Latino is more about geography. It comes from Latin American, Latino Americano. I practiced it, Latino Americano. Latino Americano, you just listen to it 10 times fast, Latino Americano. It means people that live in Central America, South America, including Brazil. People that live in Haiti that speak Creole, 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 one of those, Creole, thank you. People that live in the Caribbean, that's what Latino is. And I'm going to use them interchangeably, so now y'all know what I mean. But Latinos have experienced racism. And so I asked questions. I asked about racism. When have people been mean to you? 
When have people been prideful and thought they were better than you? These are important questions because in North Carolina, in our communities, maybe 17, 15, 20% of our community, they're Latino. Now, some people, people that um, have lived in very diverse cities like New York City or Miami, they hadn't really experienced a lot of racism because there's such diversity. But you come to the South, you're gonna experience some racism. It's like a different world in the South is what I hear. We're, us Southern people are just used to it, but people that come are like, wow, what is this? Some people that I ask questions were just like, I'm fine. I don't have anything to say. Maybe they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. It was very interesting. I want to talk about language because language is definitely a barrier. There was an interview. There was an interview by Tom Brokaw, and I didn't put together a slide presentation. I don't have a handout either. I'm not going to say I'm sorry. <laughs> it is what it is. I just wanted to talk with y'all today. I didn't want the distraction of the paper and the slides. I wanted to have a conversation. Tom Brokaw says Latinos need to work harder at assimilation. They need to work harder at learning the language. I've thought that before. If they're going to live here, they need to speak our language. Have you ever been in the convenience store and heard a family speaking in Spanish and thought, if they're going to live here, they need to speak our language? Have you ever thought they need to work harder? They need to assimilate. That means become like us. They need to be like us because English speakers are the best. They're the most important. They need to be like us. They need to not be so charismatic and flamboyant and affectionate. I tell you, Latino people like to hug, don't they? They're affectionate and they're a little patriarchal and, and they're colorful and they're boisterous because I've read the books about the culture. I want to understand my Latino friends. But we judge them because they can't speak our language. So my first example is my husband, He's a P he has a PhD in nuclear engineering. Smart man, I have to live with him. Smart, smart man. He's been working over 20 years to learn Japanese. Are you there yet, honey? He won't hardly even have a conversation. He has coworkers that are Japanese. I hear him. He'll hardly even try it. He's smart, and he can't do it. Well, he can do it. It takes a long time, right? A lot of work. For me, I've been learning Spanish um, since Hannah was two. I remember sitting with my Cuban friend saying, perro, trying to say dog, perro. Like my tongue won't make the sounds, but now I can say perro, perro, perrito, mi perrito. I've had to sit and practice. Pastor, pastor Willy. It's hard to make your mouth make the sounds. So what if you're not as smart as my husband and you're trying to learn English? Would it be easy? No. What if you're illiterate and you can't use books? I brought my Spanish Bible today, large print because I'm almost 50. My Spanish Bible, Grande Letra. What if you can't read? Is it easy to learn a language? What? If it's hard to sign up for the ESL courses because you don't understand computers? What if it's hard to get childcare to go to an ESL class? What if you have to work? Why are we telling them they need to work harder? Now, it's true. It would be helpful if they spoke English. I asked one friend what's the barrier, and she explained that her mother didn't want to come to this country. She was grieving. That's why she couldn't learn the language for a long time, because of emotional problems. And I know the many years I had migraines, I remember speaking to Angel in the foyer. I couldn't even remember the word for man, hombre, like the most simplest word in Spanish. So sometimes if you have pain or memory problems, there are all kinds of barriers. But we point our fingers like Tom Brokaw, and we say they need to work harder, but we don't understand what it's really like to be in their shoes. Can't we just love them where they are? I love you, brother. I wish you could speak, speak English so I could communicate with you, 
but we'll try. I remember Brian and um, my family helping a woman whose car had broken down, and we're in broken English and Spanish just trying to communicate. I just want you to know that there are reasons, and we need to have compassion and not judge. Unless you're actively learning a language and it's super easy for you and you've got all the time in the world to practice it and there are no barriers and you're smarter than my husband, we have no room to judge because it's hard. Pastor Willie, you're having too much fun. Cállate. En el nombre de Jesús, cállate. I'm telling him to stop in the name of Jesus. Brian told me that language is a doorway to another culture. So I want to ask you, and this is not a judgmental question, it's just informational. How many of you are trying to learn Spanish? Yes, yeah, some of us are. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's just as hard for our Latino brothers and sisters to learn English. Maybe harder. It's hard. So I just want us to have that understanding because we need to live in unity. So in the body of Christ, there are English speakers, Spanish speakers, Japanese speakers, all kinds of languages, all kinds of races. In Wilmington, there are Hispanics gathering in Catholic churches, Protestant churches. They're in our, our service at 2 o'clock this afternoon, about 12 nations. Is that right? 12 nations. When we have joint services, we're all sitting together. We're going to the communion table together. We're worshiping together. We're on the same row. How can we be in unity when we're judging them and saying, well, they need to be, uh, and they need to be, uh, uh. how can we be in unity when we're doing that? Let's love them where they are. Just, you know, I remember Miss Lydia for years. I thought she didn't speak English. I could never speak to her. And then one day she's like, hey, how are you? <laughs> we need to try to communicate. Okay, say this. Hola. Hola. Now, don't be Southern and say, hola. Say, hola. <laughs> Como estas? Or Como esta? You just said, hi, how are you? That's the beginning. So we can also build the bridge. Build the bridge. You can make mistakes. It's okay because when we gather in unity, that last verse in Psalm 133, it says, for there, for there, there, the Lord bestows his blessing. The place where we gather in unity, where we say, I love you, brother, right where you are, whether you've assimilated to my culture or not. I love you. I just love you. I don't think you need to do anything. You live your life. I'll live mine. Let's just love each other. That's where it says God bestows the blessing. For there, for there, for there. We want to be the there. We want to be the there. We want to be the place where God bestows his blessing because we just learned how to lay down all those dirty fingerprints on, on the windows of our heart and say, you know, I'm just going to let go of that belief. I'm just going to let it go. I've had it for 45 years. I'm just going to let it go and just love. Let's learn how to love. Turn with me to Philippians 2. I'm going to read this. I told him I was going to use the NAS, but I read a few things in the Passion this morning when I was preparing my heart, and I like this. I could preach on Philippians 2 all day. There was a dream I had about a year and a half ago, and in the dream, Pastor Kenny was there and Pastor Mike, and Pastor Tom didn't show up to preach, and it was 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and they said, who will preach? Who will preach? I will. <laughs> I'll preach. And I was going to preach Philippians 2 because I'd been studying it in seminary, and I could really just start right here and go all day. Philippians 2, verse, let's see, where do I want to start? Verse 2. <laughs> I see it now. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose, and you will fill my joy, fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Wow. 
Be free from pride-filled opinions. That means racism. For they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Wow, getting convicted. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us and let his mindset become your motivation. So he's telling them, be of one mind, one heart, one purpose, one passion, be one. And then he says, don't think that you're better than somebody else, but consider what they might need, not just what you need. And then he gives the example of Jesus. Verse 5, um, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That means he was God, but he didn't hold on to it. It says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and be made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 5 says, have this attitude. What attitude? Have this attitude of Jesus. Humility. And the other point is it says, consider others as more important than yourselves. Extreme humility. So I want to ask, can you value a southern white girl above yourself? What if I was poor white trash? Y'all know what that means, right? What if I was the Hispanic worker in, in your neighbor's yard, or if I was the Hispanic roofer or the Hispanic painter? What if I was the black woman on welfare? There are all these different um, stereotypes that we have of people that are bad people, that aren't as good as we are. But the Bible says, consider one another as more important as better than yourself. Consider them as better. So what about in our own Spanish congregation? When we sit with Latinos, do we consider them better than us? What if he looks like a Mexican farmer? You know, he's been out in the sun, his skin is dark. His hands are worn. Can I consider him as better than me? I mean, that's a stereotype right there. Can I consider him? The word that comes to my mind is dirty Mexican because that's what I've heard. Can I consider him as better than me? He's my brother in Christ. And I'm judging him because of what he looks like or what kind of work he does or where he's from. And I'm making assumptions. Well, first I'm saying he needs to learn English, and then I'm thinking, well, he needs to go back where he came from. And then I'm wondering, is he, is he illegal? Does he have papers? We make all these assumptions in churches all over the city where Hispanics and English speakers are gathered. We make assumptions in the community at Target, at Sam's Club on Saturday night. Hispanics love meat. They go to Sam's Club and buy it on Saturday nights because my, my husband and I, our exciting date is usually Sam's Club on Saturday night. And I see him there. And I talk to him, don't I, honey? I'm, I will talk to just about any Hispanic person there is because I'm learning and I'm practicing. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Scripture says we are to consider them as more important, as better than now, what's harder 
what's harder and where it comes to that political line is where it says to consider their interest as above your own. And that's where you start thinking about um, your taxes paying to support them. That's where you get into that kind of discussion. And I don't want to go there with you. But that's where the lines start to cross. Is are, are we willing to lay down our lives to help them in our community? They're here. Are we willing to help them? That's, I'm going to leave that one with y'all. We're not talking about windows with that one. But one thing Tom Brokaw said was he didn't know if white people wanted brown grandbabies. White Tom Brokaw said in the same interview where he said Hispanics need to assimilate, he said he had talked to white people and they didn't know if they wanted brown grandbabies. And this hits home with me because my daughter, if you didn't know, this past spring she had a pandemic wedding. She drove to South Carolina to see her fiance and she got married. So happy for her. She married a Latino. His mother is Mexican. His father is from Peru. My daughter, hallelujah, praise the Lord, married a Latino. I couldn't be happier because now I'm going to have little grandbabies, brown grandbabies, beautiful brown grandbabies, Tom Brokaw, and I am very happy about it. I am proud of it. And I'm going to teach them along with their abuela, their Mexican grandmother, we're going to teach them Spanish. Now, are my little brown grandbabies going to get judged? That's part of what motivates me. Are my sweet little brown grandbabies going to experience racism just because they're brown, just because their hair, their eyes, they might be speaking Spanish? Are people going to think all of these thoughts that we're discussing about my kids. What do your windows look like? What do my windows look like? Three weeks ago, my windows looked a lot dirtier than they're looking now because I've allowed Holy Spirit to examine my heart. Let's turn to John 17. This is Jesus' prayer for unity. This is Jesus, John 17, starting with verse 23. How am I doing, sweetie? Am I doing okay? Okay, he says okay. He's my rock. It's, when I preach, he preaches, because he has to put up with me all morning, right? And my bossiness, put this chair here, carry my book there, do this, do that. Oh, thank you, Lord. John 17. So the context is Jesus is praying for his disciples. Verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these alone, which means for these 12 only, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. So Jesus and the Father were one. That they may also be in us so that, oh, this is so good. Anytime you see us, so that. I learned in seminary it means it's going to tell you the purpose I and you and you and me, so that they may be one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. And he's going to say it again, so that the world may know so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So what he's saying is there is a reason why he's praying for them to be in unity, not so they could just share Miss Addie's fried chicken at the church potluck. He wants them to be in unity because the purpose of God is to bless all the nations of the world through Israel, through the Son of Jesus, through salvation, through forgiveness of sin, so that we can have a relationship with God and go to heaven. Jesus says, if you live in unity, the world will know. They'll believe. 
He wants us to walk in unity so the world will know. So that, he says it twice, so that the world will know that you've sent me and you love them. So that the world will believe. That was a big deal for Jesus, that the world would believe that God sent him. That's the gospel right there. There was purpose to their unity. Jesus knew that there would be diversity in our church. He knew that we would have different races, ethnicities, heights, styles in dressing, ways of speaking, places of working, languages, cultures. It was really interesting when Brian and I were part of The Rock for many years, and that was a very multiracial church, and we had small groups. And God sent little quiet Brian and me to an African-American small group. And that was an education for us. Because Brian and I, like in a group of people, we're just kind of quiet. We enjoy quiet. I really like soft sounds. Those people have energy. It was loud and it was boisterous. And God educated us. He sent us to a place different than us for many, many years. And they loved my dump cake. You put... Okay, here's a recipe. I don't cook. But you put a box of yellow cake mix and a, oh, you put a, two cans of pie filling on the bottom, yellow cake mix, and a stick of butter. And you bake it for about 20 minutes in the oven. Dump cake. They ate that stuff up. They made the fried chicken. I brought the dump cake. And we had a great time. But we were educated. We got to know another culture. We learned to be one so that the world would know. People would see that small group, and there's all these African-American people and the two little quiet white people sitting there going, oh, it's so loud. It was great. But what about in our churches with our brothers and sisters in Christ that are Latino? Are we one with them? What about if we talk about citizenship? We don't know who around us in Walmart, the grocery store, the gas station next door. We don't know who has papers and who doesn't. We don't know if they're what people call an illegal immigrant or if they're a U.S. citizen or maybe a green card holder or a visa holder. People who are here legally, people who overstayed their visas or came into our country illegally. I want us to think about if we judge them for that. Do we judge them? Because if people are here illegally, they broke the law. That's what illegal means. And for many years, I just thought, well, they're here illegally, so they are illegal. They are. Like, that's what they are. They are illegal. And I had a friend ask me, in essence, in their person, are they illegal? I've broken the law. I did most of my law breaking before I was 21. I shoplifted. I did drugs. I had people go buy beer for me. I did an 81 and a 55 and got a speeding ticket. I did bad things. I broke the law, but do you call me illegal Lisa? Because I broke the law? I just want y'all to think. I don't, I'm not telling you what's right or not. I just want you to think. Because these are the things that I heard from my Hispanic friends that feel judged by white people, black people, U.S. citizens. And then do we naturally assume that because they're a legal immigrant, the news wants us to think that all of them are violent criminals? If you see a headline, it's going to say, a legal immigrant did this or that. I just want y'all to think. There's plenty of U.S. citizens that break the law, too. So I don't want you to automatically just think, well, they're a thug. Because that's, I think, it could be judging. I want to ask you, when you see a Hispanic person or you think about an illegal immigrant, do you judge them? They sinned. In the, in the law of God, right? They, they broke a law. We're not to break laws. We don't want to condone sin, but I don't want to think that I'm any better than them. I don't want to just point out their one sin 
that I don't know when they committed it, when they made it, if they were saved or not. But then you have to just wonder, well, why? What drove them to such desperation to do that? Can you put yourself in their shoes not to condone what they did, but just to understand that it is very hard to immigrate here legally, is that correct? You have to have mucho dinero, a lot of money, to come here legally. And some illegal immigrants came here because if they didn't do something, they were gonna die. They were gonna die, so they risked their lives, not to condone it, but I want us to be like Jesus who had compassion. I want us just to have a little bit of compassion because when you start to ask the why questions, you learn why they did it. Doesn't make it right, but you learn why they did it. And then you begin to understand. And then you might have empathy. Empathy is when you hurt with them. That's, that's what Jesus did. He said, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like chicks because you're like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. And I want to ask you, can you have compassion on illegal immigrants? We know Jennifer Costell was here a few weeks ago. She has a prison ministry. Ministry to prisoners, ministry to people that broke the law. She goes in and loves on lawbreakers. Can we love illegal immigrants? I mean, if you can go to prison and minister, those people have been convicted. They've been convicted of a crime. We know they broke the law. Can we love? Can we love these two? I don't know what that love looks like, but I'm just asking you in your heart, can we lay down the judging? Can we lay down assuming that every Hispanic we see at the gas station is an illegal? Can we just lay, can we just lay that down? That's all I'm asking. I'm working on it because I'm a rule follower. Like if they say wear masks, I'm wearing a mask. I'm a rule follower by nature. And I always thought, well, they broke the law, so they're illegal. But can we just have some compassion? And can we not judge? Because Jesus says, judge not or you'll be judged. I broke laws too, so I have no room to judge. Now, I know Pastor Willie, he said he tells people, if you have to go back to your country, if you get sent back, don't sin again, right? Don't cross the border again. That's illegal. Now that you know, because God will bless you where he plants you. So we don't condone the sin, but we don't hold it over them for the rest of their lives. God doesn't do that to us. He gives us grace. He gives us grace. God's word says mercy triumphs over judgment. That's in James somewhere. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that's what I want to encourage us to do is just have some compassion. Just have a little mercy. Just understand just a little and don't hold yourself up on a pedestal and around other people in your thoughts and in your heart. So I'm going to leave that with y'all. Just some thoughts. It's not the official position of Pastor Tom or Global River Church. It's just things that I'm asking myself and figuring out. And I don't have the answers yet. But I definitely have more compassion and understanding with my Latino brothers and sisters, whether they're documented or not, from asking the questions. Because Jesus wants us to be one. If, if one of our church members is an illegal immigrant, we're to be one with them. In the body of Christ all over, the, all over Wilmington, I'm sure there are some. We're to be one with them. In the United States, in our state, we are to be one with them and not to hold their citizenship against them. Okay? That's what I think. That's what I'm learning and wrestling with. James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. So, as we close... How can we be one with our Latino brothers and sisters? I think that one of the first things is just, for just a minute, put yourself in their shoes. 
You don't have to justify or condone anything that may be wrong, but just consider their walk. Consider their walk. Ask some questions. I called Pastor Willie. I called another friend. I asked questions. I texted people. Ask questions. Ask questions. Humble yourself. We see that example of Jesus. It says, have this attitude. We're to have that humble attitude. We're to consider others more important than ourselves. We're to look out for their interests. So I'm just going to share a, a data point, and I'm not going to go there. One thing I learned is that the COVID-19 cases in North Carolina, about half of them are the ethnicity is Latino. And so I asked why. It's a, a friend that, that works in government in Wilmington. And she said it's because there's not the same social safety net that people with citizenship have for some of them. There's no welfare. There's no food stamps. There's no unemployment. There's no Medicaid. So that breaks my heart that people in our community are struggling because they have no papers. So ask questions. Have compassion. Just have compassion. Do some research. Read both sides. Empathy comes when we hurt with them. And for one thing I've learned is, is I'm learning to change my terminology. I used illegal immigrant because it pokes you right where we need to be poked. But I should have made a sign for this. A better term, especially if you're talking with someone who's Latino, a less offensive term might be undocumented worker. Sin documentos, see? ¿sí? Sin documentos. An undocumented worker, because if you're speaking with a Mexican person, person of Mexican heritage, and you're talking about illegal immigrants, and then especially if you start talking about the wall, put up the wall, it's offensive. You can look and see what Mexico thought of the United States before the wall went up, like the percent who thought favorably of our country, and then the percentage now. Because and not all of our uh, immigrants are Mexican. They're, they're a smaller percentage now. But just be mindful when you're talking of people that some terminology and discussion of some politics can be offensive. That's what I'm learning. And I know even as I'm talking about something today that I know absolutely nothing about, I've probably butchered some things, and I'm sorry. I'm trying. But we can even just change our terminology so we're less offensive or hurtful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just think about that. You do what you want. <laughs> so sometimes preachers say in closing multiple times, I really am going to close with this one. I really am going to close with this one. This is a scripture. And I, think, I think I need my prop one more time. John 13, verse 12. And uh, y'all can turn to that or I'll read it to us. I want you to think about the Mexican worker sitting in the chair who's been doing lawn maintenance all day. He's working hard to support his family, maybe send money back to his family and his country. Can you wash his feet? This person who came into your country illegally, can you wash his feet? Can you wash the feet of the woman who cleans your house who's Hispanic? Can you wash the feet of the African American? Can you wash the feet of the Vietnamese lady who gives you a pedicure? Can you wash the feet of the lady that's Asian working at the cleaners. Can you wash their feet? Because Jesus said, it says John 13, verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He said to his disciples, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus knew who he was. 
Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus said, this is my example for you. My example to you is wash feet. What does that require? It requires me humbling my very high esteem of myself and getting down on the floor and saying, I honor you above me. My Lord did this for me. I will do this for you. You may or may not deserve it. You may or may not deserve grace. You may or may not deserve anything, but I don't either. <laughs> All I deserve is death for my sin. It's not what I got. That's why we can humble ourselves and be like Jesus. So as you look at your heart, I'm not asking you to change political parties or do anything. I'm just saying as you look at the windows of your heart, is yours clean like Jesus without judgment, without condemning thoughts, without assumptions, without barbs, without monikers and stereotypes without you need to na 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 is it clean and pure if Jesus looked at your thoughts I know if he looked at my thoughts he'd get out the Windex and the paper towels because mine still need some cleaning up but are you willing to just surrender your heart today and say Jesus my thoughts may not be your thoughts my long-held views may not be your views are you willing to say, Holy Spirit, change anything that needs to be changed in me? That's all I'm asking you to do is take the windows of your heart and say, Jesus, if it's dirty, please clean it. Because we don't know. We don't know until Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. What I may have said, may, it may or may not be true. You can go back to the Word, you can rewatch it, you can pray and ask God, but I just ask you to hold up the windows of your heart to the Lord and ask Him what's true about your heart. Are you esteeming others better than yourself? Are you humbling yourself to all races? And that's hard. It's hard work. So I'm going to pray. Um, if the ministry team would come up um, with your mask, And I don't want to, um, I don't want to embarrass anyone. So right where you are, if, if you know that you need to repent for some judgmental thoughts, maybe prideful thoughts, condemning thoughts, stereotypical thoughts, you can come to the ministry team. You can just come and, um, y'all can come on up. You can just come and find a place and kneel at the altar or right where you are. You can ask Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. But as for me, I know that I'm going to take this time and repent. And repent for my thoughts that don't look like Jesus. So I'm going to pray and then um, you can come to the ministry team if you would like prayer. So Father God, we just come as a, as a church body. God is a body of many nations, many races many cultures, many ethnicities, many languages. And Jesus, I pray your prayer that we would be one so that the world would know, so that the world would believe. I pray, Jesus, that we would have this attitude like you did, an attitude of humility, that we would consider others as more important than ourselves. We would look out for the interests of others. I pray that we would walk in unity so that the sacred anointing oil would be in this place so that we would have refreshing dew because it says for there where we dwell in unity, the Lord bestows his blessing. So God, we just repent. God, you know our thoughts. We repent for any sinful, prideful, mean, arrogant, judgmental, racist, prejudicial thoughts we've had against other races, but especially against our Latino community. And God, we just ask that you would renew our minds with the word, that we would see that we're all created in your image, that we all need grace, that we've all broken a law and been forgiven. God, 
I just pray you would change our hearts, that our hearts would be clean and pure like Jesus. And I just thank you for your continued grace and for teaching us how to love. I thank you for how Jesus went straight to that Samaritan woman, (laughs) that woman he shouldn't have touched, talked to, been near, approached, but he crossed lines of gender and race, ethnicity. He crossed the lines to share the gospel. He revealed that he was Messiah. So I ask that you would use us to reveal the gospel to people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. I thank you for that calling on our body. In Jesus' name, thank you for your grace. Thank you for these that have given me such grace today. And I thank you that, I pray that the sugar helped the medicine go down. In Jesus' name, amen.